So welcome to the house of God. Amen. Yeah. In Psalm 27, verse 4, David says, One thing I've desired that I will seek, I will dwell in God's house all the days of my life. I love that because it's simple. It's one thing. Everyone show me how many things is one thing. Everyone has? All right, that's half of you. Audience participation is mandatory today. All right, very good. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, one thing I desire and one thing I will seek, I will dwell in God's house all the days of my life. You know what's cool about being a follower of Jesus is that we have this promise that when we die, we get to dwell in God's house forever. Psalm 23 says, I will dwell in God's house forever. I, I still have to walk through the valley of shadow of death, but I love the promise of heaven. Anybody fired up that we get to go to heaven? Anybody here? All right, like, right, like the thief that dies on the cross, right? The thief, there was one that mocked him and one that believed, right? And, and, and Jesus says, what? Today you'll be with me in paradise, right? You do, not, you do not pass go. You do not collect 200. There's no line. Like you don't have to wait in line. Like there's a fill out some paperwork, right? That, that says things, great things about heaven, that paradise is epic. And if that's all we know about heaven is that it's like right away, it's immediate, that is worth knowing right there, right? It didn't say that like, you know, after your mom, dad pray for you and they light a candle and there's $20,000 given to the church. It just says today. Hello. <laughs> I'm a little excited about that. No one can take away heaven from you once you're there. No one can ever mess it up. There's no death, no sin, no disease, no suffering, no thorn, no nothing. There's not going to be cancer in heaven. There's not going to be car accidents in heaven. There's not going to be all in heaven. Can I get a feminine amen? Or maybe I should ask for a masculine amen on that one. I don't know. All right. David said, one thing I desire that I will seek. I will dwell in God's house all the days of my life. You see, David didn't wait till he got to heaven to say, I'm going to commit to going to church and dwelling in God's house. He made the desire and intention to be planted in God's house when he lived his life as well, while he was alive. And the New Testament tells us Jesus builds his church brick by brick, and we're part of that house. So I'd encourage you and understand that you're part of God's house, and you're part of God's house here at Grace Presbyterian. I have people that say to me all the time, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I just pray to God in my truck. And they're absolutely right. Salvation is in faith through Christ. That's true. But here's what's also true. I don't have to go home tonight to be married. But if I stay away from my wife long enough, it's going to affect my relationship. Hello? And not for the better. Don't be saying it'll get better. Some of you are like, it's going to get better. I heard you. <laughs> All right. So make a commitment to raise your family in God's house where the word's going out. The, Jesus is being preached. The music is fantastic. Don't take it for granted, okay? Because I've been part of churches that love Jesus, but the worship sucks. Okay, let's not be that, okay? Amen? Amen. <laughs> That's not even my message. That's just extra. Are you ready for the message? Amen? All right. So Jeremiah chapter 12. If you have your Bible, if not, we'll have it on the screen for you. Jeremiah chapter 12. It actually says, if you look at this in the Bible, it says Jeremiah's question Jeremiah chapter 12. Now, if I had said Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or John, you'd be like, oh, yeah, we know, though. Those are the friends of Jesus. We're down with those books. That's New Testament. But like Old Testament, if I say, let's go to the Old Testament, most of you are like, okay, uh, Genesis, yeah, we got that, Psalms. But Jeremiah, I actually said this to Miriam, and, and Miriam said, uh, Jeremiah was a bullfrog? <laughs> she said that. She did say it. You did say it. <laughs> It's in my notes right here. Uh, so who here has actually read Jeremiah? Who here has read Jeremiah? I know, I know Javier's read. Who's here read Jeremiah? Okay, there's three of us in the room, and I get it. After your 17-hour-long day of churning butter, you have read the entire book of Jeremiah. That's wonderful. I, and you read it in the original Hebrew, right? Yes, yes? Okay. For the rest of us, it's great that we can come to a church, right, where you don't have to know who Jeremiah is, right? That's good, right? Some churches have like this, you must be this holy to ride this ride, right? Uh, and it's almost like if you don't know about God, you're not going to fit in. But this is a church that's not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners, amen? 
And may it always be that, right? May it always be a place where you can come not knowing anything about God, just having dragged yourself in here, and it's a safe place to learn about Jesus. Amen? No judgment. It's a safe place. So allow me to give you a little bit of previously on the life of Jeremiah. Can I do that for you? Yes? A little thumbnail, a little sketch, a little background on his life. He's a prophet. Now, when I say that, you may go, what's a prophet? Well, a prophet is someone that worked for God and delivered God's messages. The way to think about a prophet is this. He's God's FedEx, okay? Does that make sense? A prophet doesn't come up with a message. They would just deliver it. Like, if you call FedEx, they're just going to deliver whatever you hand them. They're not coming up with something, right? So prophets just take whatever God says, and they deliver it. He's FedEx. God would give them a message to speak, and they would just deliver it. Now, Jeremiah was called to speak to the southern kingdom of Israel because by the time he came along at that point, northern Israel, it, it had split in two. It would basically be like the United States when the Civil War, north and south, okay? They had a split in Israel, and the northern kingdom was actually gone, okay? And when you split a country into two, Um, all that does is do what to the country? It weakens it. Amen? Right? Because unity is the key to strength. Unity is the key to volume. And that's why Satan always tries to divide. He'll try to divide your marriage. He'll try to divide the church. Why? Because if you can divide, you can conquer. So unity must be preserved, must be maintained. There was no unity, different sermon. Anyhow, the nation is split in two. Jeremiah is going to preach to the southern kingdom. Now, at this point, that's all that's left because the northern kingdom had actually been carried off by the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians' armies came in, and they took over everything, and they dragged people off to slavery, okay? It's pretty much what the Taliban does today. That's what happened to the northern kingdom. Drag everyone off, new law, everything's a mess. So they had surrendered the northern kingdom to this other country, because of idolatry. Everyone say idolatry. Okay. And that means they worship idols. They were counterfeit gods, meaning they're not real gods. Like Isaiah made a real good point saying, idolatry is ridiculous. If you worship an idol, it can't help you, you know. Like anything you worship, and by the way, you don't actually have to cut something out of wood and put it up and go, oh, I worship you in order to be an idol, okay? It's not like that's not how idol worship happens today, okay? Like idolatry is still doing quite well today, okay? Idolatry is fine. It's doing great, right? Okay, because we, we, we fall victim to this, right? Mercedes-Benz, I got to have a Mercedes-Benz. Flashy car, I got to have it. Certain designer, got to have it on the back of my pocket, right? I got to have the right back of my pocket. I got to have the right kind of purse, right? I got to have the right label on it. There's, there's all these things, money, power, sex, all these things you can use and you can worship them. Idolatry, the way to look at that is anything that you value your highest is your God. So anything you think about the most, whatever is the controlling master passion of your life, that is or can be idolatry. Are you clear? Amen? Okay, so you can live for power. You can live for fame. You can live for attention. You can live for money. you You can do anything that tries to save you. And Isaiah and the scriptures say it's useless, it's futile, right? Because they can't help you when it counts the most. They'll give you some fun when you're living, but when you're on your deathbed, when you're on your last final breath, and you call out to that God that you've been living for, right? That truck that you lifted that's better than anyone else's truck in Texas, okay? You call out to your F-150, please, baby, save me. Your F-150, you know what it's going to say back to you? I'm a truck. I can't help you. I can't get you to heaven. I can't keep you out of hell. I'm a truck. But help me, oh, please, F-150, help me. I'm a truck. You can't even buy a new one today because of the chip crisis. Oh, sorry. So the northern kingdom, they turned to idolatry. And God warned them, and God warned them and said, hey, you, you know, you better turn back. And they didn't turn back, and so they're taken off captive. Now, if you're in the South and you're watching this happen to the North and you're watching that they get jacked for being, you know, idol worshipers, what do you think the one thing you would avoid doing in the South would be? You would avoid what, church? You would avoid 
idol worship. And yet, that doesn't happen. God says to them, hey, you're doing the same thing as your rebellious sister did. You're doing the exact same thing. They turned to idols and they worshiped them in the south. Now, here's where it gets even crazier. They didn't just turn from the living water that is God and build for themselves busted, janky um, drinking fountains that couldn't hold any water. That's where God said, okay. But they wanted to go continue through the motions. So in the south, what they were doing was they're worshiping idols, worship, worship. And then they would go to church and pretend they're cool with God. They were going through the motions. They wanted the perks. They wanted to know there was going to be heaven at the end, but they still wanted to act like they were following God, but they really weren't. And so God says, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, right? Have you ever had a girlfriend who's about to break up with you? And you're like, do you still love me, baby? And she's like, oh, I love you. But you can tell it ain't true. Guys in the room, you've been there? You're like, you know something's up because you know her heart's far away from you. Hello? Apparently, no one in this room ever broke up with anyone. This is wonderful. (laughs) Just me. Okay, anyhow. So God says, you're just going through the motions of following me. There's no reality to it. So you miss heaven by 18 inches, right? The distance from your mind to your heart, 18 inches. So Jeremiah was this prophet, and he was called by God. He's FedEx to call them out on this, on this religion that could not save them, the idol worship. And he was actually appointed for this task before he was even born. It's an amazing story. Jeremiah chapter 1. God says, I called you to be my prophet, my FedEx, before I even formed you in the womb. Jeremiah wasn't even born yet. Yet God had plans for him. He was dreaming of him. He said, I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations, plural. Okay, so this is epic. He's got all this stuff he wants to do. Are you still awake? Amen? Amen. All right. So Jeremiah gets born, grows up, and as a young man, God reveals to him that he's got a great commission for him. Jeremiah, now put yourself in Jeremiah's shoes. Does anyone here remember being, say, 13, 14 years old? 13, 14 years old, yeah. And God comes to you and says, hey, I want you to be a prophet to the nations, and by the way, I'm God. Uh, And Jeremiah says these words. I can't do that. I'm just a young kid. I can't be a speaker. I don't know nothing. And God says, oh, I know you can't. And here's what he tells him. Don't tell me you're just a youth. You are gonna go to whom I send you to. Whatever I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of their faces, for I'm with you to deliver you. Now, this tells us a couple things. One, it tells us doing great things for God has very little to do with what you bring to the table. It is not what you have inside of you. It is what God is going to put inside of you. It's his word that he promises to be with you. It's the fact that he'll go before you and hem you and behind you and before you. That's the secret. It's not ability that God blesses. It's availability. Hello? When Jeremiah hears this, he's like, amazing, awesome. If you're willing to do it all for me, God, I'll be there for you. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to be a prophet to the nations. So he goes and he begins preaching. Where? Where does he begin preaching? In a town called Anathoth. That's how you pronounce it. It's spelled A-N-A-T-H-O-T-H. Anathoth. A small town 60 miles outside of Jerusalem. Now, all you guys know about Anathoth, right? Don't you know about it? Right. No, I didn't really know a lot about it either until I started studying for this message. So I began to study, and this was my question. Why would he begin like this world-changing, sin-smashing, kingdom-building ministry in a place called Anathoth? It does not sound awesome. It sounds horrible. It sounds like you're lisping apple thought. (laughs) Anathoth. You may not believe me. It's impossible to say that word and look cool. Where are you from? Anathoth. What? Where are you from? Anathoth. Okay. It's terrible. You're supposed to change the world and you're starting an Anathoth? (laughs) I just think that's a great name. And some of you don't believe me. I don't have my phone here, but 
I actually can play it. You can, how do you pronounce this biblical word? You can Google that and press play on it. You'll hear it. You'll hear it. Lisping applesauce. That's what it sounds like. Why did God start there? Because that's where Jeremiah lived. That's where he's from. And whenever God does something powerful, he often starts small and he starts at home. I want to be a pastor one day. Awesome. Try to be a good dad. Pastor your kids. Well, I feel like I'm going to be a mighty evangelist one day. Problem is, you're kind of a jerk as a husband, so there's that. Hey, man, if, if it ain't working at home, why do you think God's going to export it? Someone turn to your neighbor and say, ouch. Yeah, big things start small. Every forest fire starts with a little spark. And if God's going to start with something big, he often uses small things. Jesus Christ came into the world, born in Bethlehem. And where's he's from? Nazareth. And people, a place where people made fun of when you were from Nazareth. Right? You ever hear anybody say, well, where are you from? I'm from Iowa. Nobody gets excited about that. What's in Iowa? Corn. Renee's dad's a farmer. He's watching right now, too, so I have to be good. I got to be careful. He took Renee and the whole family on a vacation to see Iowa. I go, what did you see in Iowa? Renee, she goes, corn. <laughs> Miles of corn. I bet you love that. And some people go to Disneyland. Some people go see corn. <laughs> Jesus is from Nazareth. It's like being from Robstown. Where are you from? Robstown. But big things start small. And Jeremiah begins right where he's at in Anathoth. How did it go when he began preaching? Not super good. Spoil alert for the three people that read it, the rest of you. He starts calling people out. Jeremiah starts preaching. And he's like, hey, guys, God says you all suck. How do you think that went over? And you should turn to him with your whole heart. So they're like, uh, who are you, young man, you little whippersnapper? And, you know, no one responded to his preaching. No one liked his messages. It didn't go super good for him. How bad did it go? I'm going to tell you. Every Sunday, every Sunday, Renee and I have a little debrief on how the morning went. It doesn't matter if it was good or bad. I'll say to Renee, how do you think it went today? And she'll go, eh. Or it went good. Or, yeah, a little long. Eh. That's usually what she says. Touch long. By about 15 minutes. Anyhow. That's not that bad. I can handle that from Renee. How did it go in Anathoth with Jeremiah? His own, after he delivered a message, his own family hired an assassin to try to kill him. Why are we trying to end you? Bad sermon. You thought this sermon was bad. To make matters worse, there are these other preachers the other preachers in town, and there's, you know, there's other, pre there's other churches in town, just like today. And the Bible calls them false priests and false prophets, and they were preaching a different message than Jeremiah, and their message was peace and safety, brother, peace and safety. And they were telling people, God will never judge. Don't listen to Jeremiah. Never mind the fact that God did judge the north. He'll never judge us because we have the temple here in Jerusalem and the temple will protect us. We're good. Ollie, ollie, oxen free. Peace and safety, my friends. They're selling Volkswagens. You know that ad, peace and safety. Whatever, peace, my, whatever he says. I don't know, something like that. I'm not selling Volkswagens up here. I don't want to drive a Volkswagen. I want to drive a car that you'll say I'm worshiping an idol. That's what I want to drive. <laughs> so basically, the other priests were saying, hey, man, we can do what we want. We can be bumping in the club Friday night, and then we can do a religious thing on Sunday morning. It's all good. 
And that's what they're preaching. And everyone loved their preaching. Everyone flocked to those churches. Everyone was downloading that podcast. It was number one on iTunes. They were loving peace and safety preaching. And this discouraged Jeremiah considerably. I worked at two places in college besides being an RA. I worked at Mr. Gaddy's and I worked at Chili's because I was hungry in college. And how many of you have been here at Chili's? You've been to Chili's? Yeah, so you'll, you'll, you'll understand this example. I, I like the orientation at Chili's because they said to us, they said, you're going to get, if you're an employee here, you're going to get a little card. You can swipe the machine. And when you swipe that machine, you get a discount. So in my mind, here I was, my friends, Friday night, everyone's partying. Let's go to Chili's. I'll be the big man. Everyone order everything you want. I go over, whoo, discount, half off. It was wonderful. So let me apply this to Jeremiah in the vernacular. Jeremiah went to God, and he's like, God, it's not going so good, and I don't really feel like I'm getting the employee discount that I was expecting. He's like, because in Jeremiah 12, Jeremiah actually goes back to God after he's done preaching, after the assassin tried to kill him, and things are not going well, and everybody's listening to the preacher. And this is what he says to God. Are you there, God? Are you there? Have you ever asked God, have you forgotten my address? Are you there? And it actually says, in, in this part of the Bible, it actually says Jeremiah's question. He basically says this to God. Hey, God, I'm doing what you told me to do. I've been preaching my little heart out. I didn't ask for this. You picked me, remember? Before I was even born, you were picking me. I didn't get a vote. I wasn't even born. I tried. No one listens. I walk into the restaurant, order me some food, slap down my employee discount card. You bring me the receipt, God, the bill, and you charge me twice as much as what's on the menu. You're not giving me my employee discount. And you act like you don't even know me. And then I see this table over there, and it's full of false priests who work at Applebee's. And there are awesome blossoms raining down from the sky upon them. Jeremiah chapter 12, he basically says, where's my awesome blossom? Come on, how many of you like an awesome blossom? Come on. Come clean, friends. It's okay. I know you don't see this in the Bible. It's actually in the Hebrew. Where's my awesome blossom? And I love that he can be honest with God. And he can say, God, hey, I'm not feeling it because... I'm doing all these things you ask, and it's not working out. You know, God doesn't need you to put a nice little face every time you go to see God. And Jeremiah knew he could bring all this to God. We don't have to put a tidy little bow on our problems. We can just bring them to God, and God's big enough to handle our doubts. Don't ever go to a church where they say, you know, just don't ever, don't ever have any doubts and just believe what I say. That's called a cult. It's okay to have some doubts and wrestle with God. God's big enough to handle it. And I love that God answers and God listens and listens to Jeremiah. And then verse 5, this is, there's another caption that says, the Lord answers Jeremiah. Now, are you ready for this? Say amen. amen. This is God's answer. Jeremiah, if you've run with the footmen and they've wearied you, they've worn you out, how can you contend with the horses that are about to come? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted, they wearied you, how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? I'll bet you $50 right now. Can I bet in church? Is that legal? I don't even know. I'll bet you $50 Jeremiah did not expect this response from God. I bet he expected it to go like when God commissioned him. When, when God said, I want you to go, and Jeremiah says, I'm too young, and God says, don't worry, I'll be with you, I'll go there, I'll fight for you, and it'll be okay. I bet he thought he would get something like that from God. But he gets the first of several points I want to share with you today, and I hope you'll jot this down or put it in your phone. God basically says to Jeremiah when he complains it's not going the way that he wants it to go, God basically says, you ain't seen nothing yet. He thought he's going to get a pep talk, right? He comes to God. It's icky. It's hurty. They're getting awesome blossoms. Where's mine? And God said, oh, you think this is tough? You think it's hard and anathoth? 
Those are just infantry. Those are just soldiers. There's horses coming next. And they're coming, and they're on horses. Now, why is God so mean here? Where, why is God not bringing him the encouraging word? Like when he was being recruited. Oh, but you're in the army now. You know, once you get recruited, they tell you one thing. But when you're in there, you're a different story. Hello? And God says, you ain't seen nothing yet. Horses are coming. You're going to bigger places. You're going to see a lot worse then. You better buckle up, big boy. This was certainly not the speech Jeremiah wanted from God. God knew what he needed. He didn't need to be coddled. He needed to be challenged. He didn't need to be talked off the ledge of quitting. He needed to be gripped by the greatness of his calling. Jeremiah wanted to be informed. Why, God? Why? I want an answer. Why is this so hard? Why are you letting this happen? But he didn't need to be informed. He, wanted to be, he needed to be challenged. He needed to be inspired. He needed to focus on his calling. And that's the solution. What did God say? Because he's an anathoth, doubting God, and God said, remember your calling. I've called you to run with horses. I've called you to bigger things. I said you're going to be a prophet to the nations. You need to remember your calling. And he who called you is faithful. And if he called you there, he'll get you there. Amen? Come on, someone get excited here. Come on, friends. I'm throwing a lot out here, and you're just sitting there looking at me. And we need to remember when we focus on how much it hurts right now, we need to remember that God, God has a bigger picture. And I believe this applies to every single one of you today and every single person watching online. For like Jeremiah, you are called to run with horses. I hope you receive that. And I'm using it as a metaphor to speak of the plans that God has for you, the calling on your life. Like, let me say it this way. There are no ordinary Christians among us. There's no ordinary calling given out. Like, what, what kind of calling do you have? Oh, you know, the ordinary one. That's not true. Every calling's unique. No more unique or special than mine. So like Jeremiah, God's been dreaming about you before you were even born, that God knew you while you were in your mother's secret place, Psalm 139 says. And that's why he put gifts inside of you and passion inside of you and talents inside of you. It's for a purpose, and it's not just so you can be blessed. There's a calling on your life. There's a plan, and God wants to do things through you that if I told you today, you wouldn't even believe that. No, God can't do that through me. But here's the thing, because some of you are not experiencing this. Some of you are like, well, I don't have that. I don't have a, a sense that I'm called to run with horses. And here's why. Are you ready? Somebody say amen. One person. <laughs> here's why. Before God can work in you, God must work through you. Let me say it one more time. Before God works through you, he has to work in you. You know where I learned this? I learned this from a 12-step group. Picture this. I'm in Escondido, California. I'm at a church called First Congregational Church of Escondido. It's a very Republican little town, a conservative town. The church is in the middle of beautiful little houses, nice houses that cost outrageous amounts like $800,000 for 1,400 square feet. It's crazy there. California people are crazy. 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 I'm there in my office one day. I'm in my office, and in walks a guy, and he's wearing leather all over. There's not a spot on him that's not covered by leather. He's just gotten off a bike. He's got a leather helmet, leather jacket, leather pants, leather boots, leather gloves on. Did I mention he's wearing leather? And he says to me, I'm part of the, and he turns around and points to his jacket, and it says, rat bastards on the back of his jacket. I'm part of the rat bastards. And I said, I have no idea what a rat bastard is. <laughs> he said, it's a 12-step group, Narcotics Anonymous. We need a place cheap. We're looking at the church. You think I'm going to say no to that? <laughs> the sanctuary is yours. I turned over the keys. Every Sunday night, here they come. 65, 75, 85 bikers, Harley, loud pipes, coming in all leathered up, loaded up. Sanctuary in a big circle, 85 people. 
leather loaded, tattoos everywhere, piercings everywhere. And then I walk into the meeting. Little Opie. Little Andy Griffin. Little Leave it to Beaver, Mr. Cleaver, whatever. Here I come and I'm not wearing leather. I'm not tatted up. I don't have a rat bastard jacket. One of these people is different than the rest. I stick out like a sore thumb. I decided to wear a black t-shirt that night. You know, it looked tough. It didn't work. Here's what they said. This was their rule. Their rule was, if you haven't been sober, if you haven't been drug-free for three years, they said, shut the front door. Shut up. The only thing you can share is your name and your date of sobriety. Everything else, they said, your head's too cloudy and full of drugs to even say, you ain't got nothing to say that's going to help us unless you've been sober for three years. In other words, unless God's been working in you for three years, you got nothing to share with the rest of us because God's got to work in you before he can work through you. And I sat there in the rat bastard meeting. I was like, oh my gosh, this is biblical truth. This is the best church service I have ever been to. This is worship. This is amazing. And every Sunday night I went, I was a part, I was a gang member. I was a rat bastard. I still have a jacket. Renee said I couldn't wear it. Rat bastards. They gave me a jacket. I don't have a bike. I had a Miata. Eh. Same thing. Not really. They were great. And every Monday morning for like the first four months, <laughs> this is the phone call I got. Now, John, there's an angry neighbor on the phone. Great. Let me take that call. Yes, this is Reverend John Roberts. What kind of church has a biker fest every Sunday night? I can't sleep. There's so many bikes at your church. What the hell is going on? What kind of church is this that has bikes and rat bastards in it? I said, one with Jesus. Well, I just don't know. That's just not true. But God has to work in you before God can work through you. Some of you are still in the stage where God's still working in you. And he always works in you. Hello? You ain't seen nothing yet. That's what God says. How much of God's word do you know? How many people have you led to Jesus? How many people have you shared your faith with? When's the last time you made up there, come down here, God's kingdom to come? And if you can't answer that, you can't think about it real quick. You ain't done enough. Doesn't matter. You ain't seen nothing yet. The greater things are still to come. He saves the best wine for the end of the feast. There's more he wants to do in your marriage. There's more he wants to do in your life. There's more. Jesus isn't done with it yet. He's building his church one by one. You haven't plateaued. You haven't peaked. He gives hope to the hopeless. He brings beauty from the ashes. You're called to run with wild horses. Come on, someone get excited in here. Come on. And you need to know, second point, opposition escalates with opportunity. You need to know full disclosure here. Jeremiah was told by God, if you're fainting now, your strength is small. It's going to get much worse. He was saying, oh, it's terrible down here in Ananthoth. When he left in Ananthoth, how wild did it get? It got so bad. When Jeremiah left Ananthoth and started preaching, it got so bad that he was locked up for preaching. He'd get beaten up so bad, and he would get beaten up, tortured, and then finally locked up. Eventually, he stood before the king of Israel in the southern kingdom. And the king said to Jeremiah, give me your message. And what's happening? The, the prophecy's coming true. He's delivering a message to the king. Because God said, you'll stand before kings. You'll stand before nations. So he stood there with the whole nation listening, and he began delivering the message. And they hated his sermon. They actually hated his sermon so much when he stood before the king that they actually dug a pit and they threw him into the pit and they made sure it was muddy. They added water. And he actually writes, I sank into the bottom of the mud. What a memoir from a pastor. The guy ministered for 40 years and through it all, again and again and again, he was attacked. He was beaten up. He was tortured. They would come. Listen, this is true. If you read Jeremiah, you know this is true. 
they would stand at the top of the pit that they threw Jeremiah in and they would throw rocks at him and, and just hit him. It was a game they called Peg the Preacher. And he'd pull out and he'd be so famished and they'd just throw down moldy bread and he'd had a drink from a cistern. It was horrid. And they would pull him up out of the pit after they'd hit him with rocks and everything else and they'd say, have you changed your song yet? Have you changed your message? We want a new FedEx package. Are you gonna get on board with these other preachers? You know, peace and safety. And he would say, here's what the Lord says. Here's the message he gave me. And he was called the weeping prophet Jeremiah because he cried and cried because he saw the judgment of God coming to the southern kingdom, and they would not listen. And so eventually the southern kingdom was wiped out. His heart broke, and yet every word that God promised him about his fame, about how widely he'd be known, about how much he would do, God would do through him, all those things came to pass. But it was horrible at the same time, and no one listened to the message because opposition escalates with opportunity. The more God does through you, the more the enemy will try to stop you. You need to know that as your platform gets bigger, your life will get harder. And that's just because God has a plan for you and God loves you. Well, guess what? The devil hates you and has a plan for you as well. And if he can't get you to hell, if you keep giving your life to Jesus, he'll try to keep you for living for heaven. And so when you rise up and you say, you know what? I'm not going to just let my life pass me by. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to use my gifts. I'm going to, I'm going to plant my family in the house of God. I'm going to leverage myself and make God's kingdom come. God's will be done. The enemy will rise up in his attempt to tear you down. Paul put it this way. A great door has been opened for me, but there are many adversaries. And because here this, that's true, here's the next point. You need to train for the trial you're not in yet. You need to train for the trial you're not in yet. Here's what Jesus said. He said it this way. In this world, you'll have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So we know we can fulfill our God-given calling knowing that there are trials coming. There's trouble that's coming to our lives. Right now, you could take out your phone, you could pull out your Google calendar, and you could just schedule it right on your Google phone six months from now, the date right from now, and here's what you could put on there. Trouble. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what form it's going to take. But if I'm going to rise up and, and run with the horses, there's going to be trouble from what's coming. The enemy's going to try and keep me selfish, keep me focused on my needs, keep me from loving and forgiving and sharing the good news and keep me from plundering hell. But trouble's coming. And if you did, if you looked at your calendar and you said, you know what, I know at times it's going to really be hard to follow God, and I know the enemy's trying to keep me selfish and keep me discouraged, how would you respond if you knew that trial was coming? If you knew six months from now that trial was coming? You would probably do some things differently right now. You would train for it. For instance, if they told you two weeks from now we're having a hurricane at your house, you would start making preparations, wouldn't you? Unless you're one of these morons that says, I'm going to ride it out. People die. Go to San Antonio. Put the boards up on the windows. You got insurance. <laughs> like, okay, I don't think you like that example. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> let me switch examples. Like, let's say August 15, 2022, next year, a year from now, I want everyone in this room to run a marathon. Yeah. Okay? Pencil that date in, Marathon. Once you put that on the calendar, how many of you would go, well, I better start trading. I got to put down the Twinkies and Ho-Hos and start training. Because you know what the worst time is to train for a marathon? Once it begins. Oh, I'm a good multitasker. I thought I'd train while I run. Yeah, you know, I'm training while I run. That's a horrible time. Right now, you're training for a trial you're not in. And you don't know what trial is coming. Everyone knows that COVID has been devastating to the life of this church, to the life of our nation, to the world, to our school. We had no notification, no reason to think it was coming. We're wrapping up Christmas gifts at Christmas time. And you remember they said, talked about some weird virus in China. And all of a sudden we're in crisis. And you know what's amazing, even though we know what's coming, Renee and I and the Roberts family, we've been training for that trial. We've been in church every year for Sundays. 
our hands lifted high in praise. We've been reading our Bible. I mean, you look at the Roberts family. You look at our family. We are not perfect. You all know if you look up under the hood, there's some things wrong with the engine. You know, oil change, a couple belts. If you know me, you know that, right? I never pretend I'm perfect. I don't stand up here and tell you I'm perfect. But there are many things right about Renee and I and the Roberts family because we pray, we seek God, we're planting this house. So when COVID hit full force and we shut down church for 10 Sundays, when my dad was in the hospital for 132 days, when I had COVID, you know what I was able to say? God, we're going to worship you, we're going to praise you, we're going to trust you that you're going to pull us through. That's what I was able to say. That's what I was able to say. And God has and God will continue to bring us through the hell that is COVID that never seems to go away. See, how you do in any storm, how you do in any trial is more determined by what you do before the storm comes. Jesus said when a storm comes, it just reveals the foundation. Is your house built on sand or rock? Well, the storm will tell you. A storm is not an ideal time to build a foundation. Tornado's coming. Let's build a shelter. It's too late. You're in Oz. (laughs) I don't think he liked that part. I'm okay. I'm sure no one's going to hire an assassin to kill me. At least I hope not. (laughs) Why'd you shoot him? Bad sermon. Fourth point. Here comes some good news. God puts to use what he puts you through. I know you know, because up until this point, you're like, can we get a guest speaker next week or something? Because this is, you know, not encouraging me. God will allow trouble to come your way as you follow him, but he puts to use what he puts you through. Nothing is wasted. I always say with my staff, don't waste a crisis. God doesn't waste a trial. It's kind of like the Native Americans. Remember they taught you this in history class? When Native Americans would hunt a buffalo, they would, it was methodical. They would plan it out, right? They respected the animal. They respected the great spirit. They would use everything, right? The skin, the bone, the muscle, everything. There would just be a stain on the hillside. That's all that's left. And Native Americans grieved when the white man came and they just frivolously killed and wasted so many animals, right? In fact, so many buffalo killed, just target practice, just wanting the horns, just wanting the skin, not wanting anything, just shooting them from the train, that we nearly drove them into extinction. And there was just mountains of bloated, rotting buffalo carcasses in place, just indiscriminately killed, just senselessly. Well, God's not like that. Romans 8, we know it well. God works for good for all things called to the good, to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But here's the thing. We love that bumper sticker phrase. We love to throw it around. But when you, when you throw that scripture out, you've got to breathe the fumes of the context of that passage. This was written at a time, Romans 8 was written when Christians were being butchered by Nero, who was the emperor of Rome. And he was killing them in Colosseums and feeding them to lions. So in Romans 8, Paul actually quotes the Old Testament. He says, yet for our sakes we're being killed all day. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. So the new translation, we're like rotted buffaloes being butchered. Yet in Romans 8, he says, in all these things we're more than conquerors. And nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And we know that all things work together for good for those who called God and who are called according to his purposes. He puts to use what he puts us through. So God has a plan for your pain. And everyone has to look for the plan in your pain. Psalm 56, God says he catches your tears in a bottle. Psalm 126, those who are so in tears will reap with joy. And so if we look for the plan in our pain, we'll find that God has a purpose in allowing it. When my mom died, she played for 35 years straight at Randolph Air Force Base Chapel. Played all the Catholic masses, which was three of them, and she played for the Protestant service. So the the Catholic priests come to me, and they're like, we're going to do a service to honor your mom. I said, that's great. I'm going to be a part of it. Yes, we we know you're a reverend, yes. Um, but we don't allow eulogies, John, because we're the Catholic Church, so you can't do a eulogy. And I said, okay. How do you think that went? 
So I got up for my little, they said, we'll let you say like three minutes, John. Just a little word. So I got up there for my three minutes. You think I've ever spoken for three minutes in my life? <laughs> 45 minutes. I actually turned to the priest, and some of you know because some of you were there. I turned to the priest. I said, I'm sorry, Father, but uh, I'm giving a eulogy. I got the mic. There's 600 people here, and I'm not, I'm not backing down, and I'm going to tell the story of how my mom played for the church for 77 years. And I'm going to honor her. And I told, her, I told her about leading people to Jesus and how she's in heaven. And I told people about Jesus at her service because I wanted to bear witness. And here's what's great. The Protestant chaplain, the Air Force chaplain, came up to me and goes, I've never seen anybody do that in this service. I'm like, yeah, that's right. And I got emails, several of people who came to that service who knew my mom, and they said, we came, we heard, we touched, and we gave our lives to Jesus Christ as a result of that eulogy. So amen. Amen. It's all worth it. So he puts to use what he puts us through. We just have to have a bigger view of what's possible. Sometimes God lets us suffer so that others might experience the good. Now, I know you're sitting back there and you're saying to yourself, when's this thing ever end? That's one thing you're saying. The second thing you might be saying, let's put this little theory to the test, Pastor. What about Jeremiah? Didn't you tell us he preached for 40 years and no one responded? No one listened? What happened to him at the end? I'm going to tell you. It didn't end well for him. The people he was preaching to eventually stoned him to death in Egypt. And now you mention it. Oh, that sounds like his whole life was a waste like a rotten buffalo carcass just stinking up the sun. How did God put to use what he put him through, Pastor? Hey, newsflash, he's doing it right now because we all turn to the book of Jeremiah today. No, they didn't listen to him then, but we're listening to Jeremiah right now. And there are thousands of people right now in America, thousands of people around the world years later that are listening to what God said through Jeremiah and we're being blessed and we're responding. And for the past 3,500 years since Jeremiah ministered, we've been encouraged and we've taken heart and we've taken hope in verses like this from Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts I have toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of goodness and not of evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. And don't look at me like you don't know that verse. It's hanging in 37% of all Christian bathrooms on the wall. You've gone to the bathroom reading that verse this past week. God's putting to use in our lives what he put Jeremiah through. Does that make sense? Yes? Okay, one last point, and I'm going to shut this thing down. I know that's preacher talk for a lot more to say, but seriously. Here's my prayer that you'll walk out of here today, you'll walk out of here with the desire to run with some horses. And I don't know what it's going to look like for you, for your ministry or your marriage or your context or your home or your workplace, but my prayer is that inside of every one of you there's a desire to say, okay, God, I know it's hard sometimes. It hurts. I could barely even see straight with what I'm going through. But if you're saying there's, these are just soldiers and you want me to run with some horses, I'm going to live out my calling because this is a message and a sermon series on temptation. And here's the temptation. One of the biggest temptations you'll have in life is not to live the life God intended for us to live, to not to run with horses, but to seek the easy way out. And I hope and pray inside of you that there's a holy dissatisfaction, a holy discontentment that says, you know what, I don't want to just live out my life. I don't want to just pay the mortgage. I don't want to just pay the bills. I actually want to make a difference. See, success is one lifetime. Significance is many lifetimes. And I want significance. And I hope you'll rise up, oh man of God, oh woman of God, and it'll cause you to spring forth and I hope it's true, and I hope you're saying to yourself, you know what, I'm going to start serving. I'm going to start really giving. I'm going to start, you know, really working for God, and I'm going to stop complaining and start helping. I'm going to be a better wife. I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better parent. I'm going to do this. I want to run with some wild horses. But as you do, I'll tell you, that's awesome. That's good. But just so you know this, your strength will fail you. God bless you. Have a great week. And here's why the profound truth is, horses are faster than people, so you're going to fail. 
Have a great day. You're going to desire to rise up and serve your husband, and that's going to last about six days because he's going to be mean because sometimes he's mean. And you're like, I don't want to be nice to him anymore. I'm going to back to being a jerk. You're going to desire to serve and not get recognized. You're going to try to share your faith with someone, and they're going to make fun of you. Horses are faster than people. Your strength will fail. Look at Jeremiah's life if you need proof. He failed again and again and again through his life. His strength kept failing. His strength kept failing. And he's stronger than you and I. And these things that God has called us to do, they're technically impossible. So what do you do when you've tried to run with horses and you found yourself wanting? You remember in a, a play, they would say, cue that part. Well, this is where we say, cue the eagle. What does that mean? Isaiah chapter 40. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. Those who are greatest and strong among us will fail. Those who go to the athletic club every day, I see you there, and you're fit, and you think you're great, and you're doing CrossFit and all that stuff. That's great. You look great. That's wonderful. But guess what? You're going to get tired and fail. But, and a big but, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Hey, check this out. Horses may be faster than people, but eagles are faster than horses. (laughs) My mom played that song, and we don't sing it in this service, but we sing it at the 9 o'clock. And he will raise you up on eagles' wings, bear you on the breath of dawn, make you to shine like the sun, and hold you in the palm of his hand. And I sang that as the closing song for 18 years of my life growing up at every service she ever played. And I said, why do you play that song, Mom? She said, because it's the truth. Because you're going to run, John. You're going to get weary. You're going to fail. You're going to preach, and it's not going to work. People are going to walk out and go, that was way too long. And they'll be right. But, but. If you run and run with wild horses, if you run and run with horses, if you want to do what God's calling you to do, you're going to need the strength, and God will send that strength. And it's like an eagle. It's like an eagle. God is willing to give you the strength to do things you don't have inside of you. He's only a prayer away. You can call on his name. He'll give you the power for today. What about tomorrow, Pastor? You're going to have to ask him again tomorrow for power. He only gives it every day. The strength of an eagle. That's God. There's a reason the Holy Spirit symbolizes a bird, as a dove, more powerful, faster, strength. So let's pray. God of grace, we give thanks for this time and this long time that we've unpacked the book of Jeremiah. I give thanks, Lord, for each and every person in this room. I pray, Lord, that they've heard the calling on their hearts, that there's no ordinary Christian in this room, that you've called us to run with those horses. So give us the strength When we fail, the strength and speed of the eagle, give us that, Lord. Raise us up. Help us to want to serve, to want to give, to want to just not be successful, but to have significance, to have something in our life that lives us, and that's your kingdom, your will being done. Lord, I don't know what that looks like for every person in this room, but I pray, I pray that they'll leave here seeking that, knowing that, that you have called them to run with horses. We pray this in Jesus' name who taught us as we say now together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be our name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand now and sing the last song. Amen. <laughs>